It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We have a big hour coming your way, a simulcast with Barney and Company. Uh, we will also update you and recap what's going on with President Biden's first speech to the United Nations. He's talking about uh, that we're going to support climate change, as usual, and he's going to say we're not going to start a Cold War with China. I didn't think we were anyway. Uh, that's what the U.N. accuses us of doing, and we'll talk about that as well as uh, try to make sense of the way we left Afghanistan, which will prove to be impossible. Uh, but we're going to give up the big three for a great reason. Uh, one of America's, if not the uh, finest documentarians and historians is with us now. Uh, he has made a major impact on those who want to know about American history and and get it through uh, the lens of how it lived it. I think with the first time I saw, heard about Ken Burns, who was with the uh, the history of baseball. And then, of course, we have uh, then we have the Civil War. And the last one was an area in which I thought I knew more than Ken. And that is the life of Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali. He has now taken on that, uh, and he's done a remarkable job. It is a it is a four-round fight. Round one was on, and uh, it's on PBS. Ken Burns joins us now. Ken, welcome back. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Brian. Uh, no problem. Ken, what made you want to tackle Muhammad Ali? Because you're not the biggest boxing guy, but you realize the impact of this man. Yeah, you know, I've done one other boxing film on Jack Johnson, the first African-American heavyweight champion in the beginning of the 20th century. I'm, I'm not that interested in boxing, except where the boxer intersects with American life. And when you think about Muhammad Ali, he intersects with all of the major themes of the last half of the 20th century. I mean, the role of sports in society, the role of the black athlete, the definitions of black masculinity and manhood, the civil rights movement, the human justice movement, our age-old question about race, politics, war, faith, religion, Islam, sex. I mean, all of the things we're also discussing today. So there's something kind of protean about this figure. He's considered the greatest athlete of the 20th century. I think a good barroom argument might be that he's the greatest athlete, period, full stop, willing to have that discussion. But I think it's the way in which his life reminds us about freedom and courage and love. I mean, he dies the most beloved person on the planet. And that ought to be ought to ought to spark some curiosity of how someone who was so reviled in the 1960s for various stands he had taken could could sort of transform into this beloved figure in which billions that's with a B uh, people were drawn to him and uh, loved him. I, I just watching uh, the Frazier fights and the Foreman fight and the Liston fight and what they meant in overcoming things. You might never want to be a boxer, but if you met someone in your life that intimidates you and you win, uh, maybe Ali could show you the template how to do that. And that could have been uh, Liston, for example, who everyone was afraid to get his jab, let alone uh, feel his wrath. And he beats him. Here's David Remnick. He's one of the many uh, experts who you talk to. 
and in, in this piece, and he talks about how Ali wasn't always loved. Cut 34. We now think of Muhammad Ali as this vulnerable guy lighting the torch in Atlanta, and everybody on the globe loves him. Black people like him, white people. He's a universal hero, like, but almost in a religious way, like the Buddha. But when he was in the midst of his career, and not just in the early bit, he was incredibly divisive. Boo, yell, scream, throw peanuts, but whatever you do, pay to get in. People hated him, whether it was along racial lines, class lines, Vietnam lines, political lines, religious lines, where they just couldn't stand him. And people, of course, had the opposite. And this was, I loved him, loved him. Uh, the author, he was the author of King of the World, Muhammad Ali and the Rise of an American Hero. Uh, David, he, he spoke up. He, he, uh, uh, Ken, uh, as Ken, David mentioned, Ken, he spoke up, he spoke out, he bragged, and he backed it up. Yeah. Well, so there's an interesting dynamic here, Brian. Um, David uses, I think, quite appropriately the phrase divisive. But I wonder if it's Ali who's divisive or us who's divisive. And, and let me just explore that for one second. I'll use a baseball metaphor. He comes up. He's bragging, as you say. He's reciting poetry. He's predicting the rounds in which his opponents are going to fall, and they usually do fall in that round. And he's not behaving the way an athlete is supposed to behave, and particularly in the early 1960s, how a black athlete is supposed to, put that in quotes, right. behave. Right. One. Then he wins the championship. You know, it's a nine-to-one odds against him uh, to beat Liston, and he's figured Liston out, and he's just clearly brilliant, and it's an amazing fight. You know, I call all the fights the collected work of William Shakespeare because you can't make this up. The internal and external drama of these fights are beyond imagination, and they're all the most important ones. The 25 most important ones are in the film. But after he wins the world championship— he announces that he's a member of a separatist a religious cult called the Nation of Islam, and that soon after that, they are going to change his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. This is, you know, incendiary in America uh, and strike two. Then, based on religious beliefs, he refuses induction into the United States Army in Vietnam. He's been classified as undraftable, and then because we needed more more soldiers there for that war that wasn't going well. Um, he was reclassified 1A. He refused induction. He was convicted. The, though the prosecutors had suggested uh, rejecting his conscientious objector argument, um, I think America saw it only in political terms, that a black man was giving a middle finger to the USA, not that it was a sincerely held religious belief. But no matter, the po- prosecutors recommend something. He's, the book is thrown out at $10,000 and five years in prison, which he appeals. But that's the strike three, because so many people, black as well as white, just thought there was a sort of ungratitude. There was something scary about the nation of Islam. And, um, you know, he, he was refusing to participate in a war, which at that time in 1966, a majority of Americans um, favored. So that's where the great animosity, he, he loses everything. He gives up everything. I mean, he knew and everyone knew that he could go into the army and he'd have a cushy job. He'd appear at USO shows and he'd do, you know, make trips. And like Joe Lewis. Going to be fun. Like Joe Lewis, but he didn't do it. He was holding to his beliefs. So I think what happens is you begin to see this rehabilitation take place in the early 70s. Finally, the Supreme Court unanimously 
um, frees him from this prison sentence on a technicality, not not establishing that, uh, that, that he was right about conscientious objector on a technicality. But nonetheless, he's free. And he, he, he makes a, a, a – he's already fought a couple fights. He's now going to go back and fight Frazier to get back his title. He loses, and he does so spectacularly with great humility. Right. At the and, end. Which is so and, interesting. And, and, and you, you point this with, out, Ken, and I just, I'm going to well, let you, people hear it. But you say the loss turned things around in his public perception. First, let's hear it. This was one of the most fascinating fights ever. It totally ever, lived up to the hype tonight in 1971. Here it is, March 8th, 1971. After the fight, Ali had been knocked down in the 15th, but got up. Cut 41. Nine to six for Frazier. Frazier is the Eleven rounds for Frazier, Paul Rowley, Ronnie, Levin and Fowler. The winner by unanimous decision and heavyweight champion of the world, Joe Frazier. So, what changed after the loss? So, I think, you know, and let's just be honest, too. This film is very... Uh, clear that Muhammad Ali, an outsized personality with great strength, like an ancient Greek hero, uh, also has weaknesses. Achilles had his heel and his hubris to go along with his great strength. Before the fight, which was called the fight of the century, he had used the language of a, that a white racist would use to describe a black man about his black opponent, Joe Frazier, who is completely unacceptable. As the scholar Todd Boyd says, you know, in this case, here's the ultimate conscious black guy, but he's using his powers for evil instead of good. And I think one way of understanding it is implied there is that there's a kind of superhero nature to Muhammad Ali. Anyway, he knows he's behind on points. The last round, he's trying desperately to get a knock out of Frazier. And instead, you know, he, he, he's vulnerable because of that desperation and Frazier knocks him down. He's immediately up. The decision, as you heard, is unanimous for Frazier. He's remaining the heavyweight champion. Muhammad Ali afterwards is soft-spoken. He says into every life failure must come. I have to be an example. People lose their lives. They lose loved ones. They lose titles and we have to go forward. It's an amazing thing, but America by March of 71, has looking at him in, 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 with different eyes. They're beginning to think, you know, maybe he's right. All the combat troops are coming out of Vietnam. It's been a mistake um, that he, he was right about Vietnam. And more importantly, he had held to his conscience and he was trying to come back. And so as Robert Lipsight said, Frazier, uh, one of the great sports writers and who was a cub reporter and followed Cassius Clay and then Muhammad Ali all through his career, he says – he was um, essentially – Frazier won the fight, but Ali won America. And that's when kids, black and white, began putting his poster up. And then it's only three years before he has – he wins back the championship in spectacular fashion in another Liston-like situation where people in his corner are worried he's going to be killed by his opponent in Kinshasa Zaire, George Foreman. Instead, like the Liston fight, it's just – by that time – the rehabilitation has has um, I'm not saying is complete. I think it was probably complete by the time he was lighting the torch in Atlanta 25 years right. ago this summer. His hands shaking from the effects of the Parkinson's that all the blows to the head probably provoked. It was a 
inherited family trait. And, and we do know that Parkinson's does get handed down, but maybe those blows provoked it. And he's silenced and, and sort of encased by it. And now he's this beloved figure. Michael J. Fox, the great actor who has Parkinson's, said an amazing thing, Brian. He said, I couldn't be still until I couldn't be still. This loud, voluble, funny, great man who spoke all the time, whenever he spoke, right. um, you know, the sports world stopped, now couldn't speak and in some ways spoke volumes and became right. an ambassador for the U.S. around the, the world and died, as I said, the most beloved person. And so he spoke volumes even in his silence. Right. It's just one of the great stories that I've ever come across. And by the way, this film is co-directed by my daughter, Sarah Burns, and her husband, David McMahon. We collaborated on the Central Park Five film and the Jack Robinson film several years ago. Yeah, Ken, it just goes so beyond boxing, and, and uh, yeah. it is fantastic. So, Ken, you're kind enough to do two segments, so we'll take a short time out, come back, and let you finish up. But keep in mind, Muhammad Ali is airing now on PBS. Uh, you can download it or, or watch it on your local affiliate. It is so worth the watch. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Never again make me the underdog until I'm about 50 years old. But I didn't dance. I didn't dance for a reason. I wanted to make him lose all his power. I kept telling him he had no punch. He couldn't hit. He's swinging like a sissy. He's missing. Let me see your box. I hadn't started dancing yet. You can't say my legs are gone. You can't say I was tired because what happened? I didn't dance from the second round on. I stayed on the ropes. When I stay on the ropes, you think I'm doing bad. But I want all boxers to put this in the page of boxers. Staying on the ropes is a beautiful thing with a heavyweight when you make him shoot his best shots and you know he's not hitting you. I would have gave George Solomon two rounds instead of punching because after that he was mine. And that's the rope-a-dope strategy, which is now part of American vernacular. Uh, we got a couple more minutes with Ken Burns. Ken, that moment, just like the Liston moment, but they really said he lost to Frazier, got his jaw broken by Norton, Foreman crushed both those guys inside of two rounds. How could Ali survive? How did he do it? Can you make sense of it? Yeah, he used his head, his heart, his spirit, his faith, all of those things. He he understood the internal dynamics of what was going to win, and he applied that. I mean, his own corner is screaming at him, Angelo Dundee, get off the ropes, get off the ropes the entire time. But he had a strategy, and he basically let George, who one punch connecting, would that would be it, like Sonny Liston. I mean, it's just one of those great fights. As I said, it's Shakespearean in its internal drama and its external drama there in Zaire and Kinshasa, you know, supported by this dictator, you know, Mobuto Sese Seiko. It's just you can't make this stuff up. And it is really the high point of everything. He regains the title. He is, as Howard Bryant says in the film, whole again. And it reminds you, you know, I've been making films, Brian, about the U.S. for nearly 50 years, but I've also been making films about us that is to say the two letter lowercase plural pronoun all of the intimacy of us and all of the majesty all of the complexity all of the contradiction even all of the controversy of the u.s it's a marvelous i feel privileged to sort of exist in that space and what i learned when i was working on our country music documentary is that there's only us 
There's no them. And we spend way too much of our energy creating them. It's a kind of out of political expedience. But as they say, in war, the first casualty is the truth. In political expediency, the first casualty is the truth. And what you can find embedded in the life of Muhammad Ali is someone who emerges phoenix-like from the trials that he was put through, from losing three and a half years at the height of his career to rise once again, not once, but twice to the heavyweight championship and do it uh, in a, in a, with the, engaging the themes of freedom. It's tough for a black man to achieve, you know, escape the specific gravity of what this country can sometimes do. It's about courage, not just in the ring, as he exhibited in Zaire there, but also uh, in life. Uh, and it's about love. I mean, this is this is a guy who understood it. There's a wonderful shot of the Beatles visiting the Fifth Street gym while he's training for Liston. And there's a fake publicity shot, you know, of him hitting George. And George is, hit, you know, is toppling down like dominoes, Ringo, John, and Paul. And I realized, my goodness, there are five men who understood what the mechanics are of the universe. That is to say that only love multiplies. And, you know, it's probably best said by one of the two survivors, Paul McCartney, who said, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. This is what Muhammad Ali was about. And those last three decades, imprisoned as it seems to us, um, in, in the ravages of Parkinson's, nonetheless, just became this huge figure. His daughter, Rashida, in the last episode, squeezes her fingers together and said, boxing was only this much, meaning, you know, he could have done anything else. He could have been a carpenter. You never know what he would have done. We, you can see from the early footage of him, and you can see him say this as a young man, I don't have to box. I know I'm destined for something. And I think in some ways he was, as so many people in our history, as you know, Brian, particularly having studied recently Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, some people are messengers of us, not them, of us. And therefore, they're messengers of the U.S. And I am so proud that Muhammad Ali is one of us. He's an American. I, I wish I could have added to those statements, but it was just so perfect. That's why you do what you do. Ken Burns, how do we get this? You can, you, you know, it's on PBS. Uh, episode three is tonight and episode four tomorrow night broadcast. But it's been available since Sunday for free at PBS.org slash Ali. So you can go back and catch up if you haven't seen it. You can look at your right. leisure. Uh, we're now in no longer appointment Ken, TV. But Ken Burns, thanks so much. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.